Welcome, First Friends Church family. Today, Pastor Nathaniel is leading us through our end of summer series titled Summer in Psalms. We are so glad to have you tuning in because here at First Friends Church, we live to glorify God together by loving Him, making disciples, and proclaiming the gospel. One of the best ways to strengthen our faith is by diving into the Word of God together during our Sunday gatherings. So if you don't have a church family, we would love to have you join us. All there is to know as you plan your visit can be found at firstfriends.org. Now let's go to our lead pastor, Nathaniel, with this week's message. I remember as a child that uh, my, my folks, we, we had a lot of guests into our home, uh, particularly to share meals. And I heard my dad tell a certain joke repeatedly when we had guests over. And at some point, I appropriated that joke for myself, and I started telling it. Now, there was one caveat. I didn't get it. I didn't, I didn't understand what was funny about it. I didn't understand the point. But what I did know is that I always got a great response from it. So I continued to tell it. I remember one day when suddenly this, the punchline of the joke fell into place for me. And suddenly I thought, now I understand why for, you know, the last two or three years that I've been telling this joke, why people laughed. You want to hear the joke? So a little bit of historical background first. I don't know if you're aware of this. And this was part of my problem. I had no idea about the context. Uh, there is a historical reference to the fact that the, an, a queen of ancient Egypt, Cleopatra, that in an attempt to lighten her skin and to care for her appearance, she would take baths in milk. Okay, so that's the background, right? Okay. Here's the joke. Why did Cleopatra take milk baths? Because she couldn't find a cow tall enough to take a shower. Feel free to use it. You, you steal it. For those of you who got it, for those of you who are a little puzzled still, talk to me afterwards and I can illuminate you from my six-year-old mind. Some, some Bible passages, in fact, I would suggest that the, the Bible passages that are most familiar to us can often be like that joke, that they're, they're well-known, they're popular, they're read often, maybe even at specific times in our lives. Uh, but perhaps because of hearing them for so long, we tune them out or we don't take the time to think through them carefully, to consider what's actually being said and presented and to understand how they should impact us or how they do impact us. And I believe that Psalm 23 can be one of those passages. It's so often quoted. It's read at funerals. It's read at weddings. Uh, in Brazil, it was on so many bumper stickers. Particularly, for some reason, it seemed to always end up on bumper stickers of um, Volkswagen VW buses or vans. The Lord is my shepherd. I want nothing. It's so often quoted. But do we get it? Do we really understand what God is saying and revealing about himself and the depth of his care in this psalm? Now, I've issued this kind of challenge before, and I'm going to issue it again. We're going to take our time working through Psalm 23. We're going to take six weeks. We're only going to go one verse per week. 
So here's the challenge. Let's memorize it. Some of you already have. Many of you probably already have. Perhaps you've memorized it in another version from the one we use here, the NIV, but that's okay. Then if you have memorized it previously, let's refresh our memory. And again, this is the beauty of it. It's only one verse per week. So if you set that as your goal, I'm confident that we can do this. If you don't have a Bible, a hard copy Bible with you this morning, and you'd like to borrow one for the rest of the service so you can follow along, and you don't have Psalm 23 memorized, the ushers are coming back down the aisles now. They have some copies, and if you catch their eye or raise your hand, they'll be glad to loan you one. And again, uh, as we say each week, maybe you are potentially new here. This is, you, you, this is your first time with us. You don't own uh, a hard copy of the Bible, then please don't just borrow this one, but receive it as a gift from us and take it with you. I'll be reading Psalm 23. Even though we're only going to be focusing on verse 1 today, And uh, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible as a book, uh, Psalms is very close to the middle. So if you hold it in front of you and try to open it about halfway, chances are you'll be in the Psalms. It's also the book with the most chapters, so you've got a pretty good margin of error there to land in the Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He guides, he he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Today, we need to define our terms. We need to understand this first verse because it sets the tone for the rest of the psalm. This first verse reveals who God is and who we are in relation to Him. The primary subject of this psalm is the Lord. Note in the NIV, the New International Version, the, the one that, from which I'm, I'm reading, the word Lord is written all in capitals, and you've heard me address this before. When the NIV uses the word Lord all in capitals, it means it's his, his name, not his title, but his name. This is the holy name, usually verbalized as Yahweh or in English as Jehovah. The name which is so great and so holy that even to this day, many Jews refuse to speak this name out loud. It's the name of God which is of such great transcendence that we can't fully comprehend its meaning. Now, in our context in 2023, it's a little bit surprising 
to hear this name of names equated with the word shepherd. It's a little bit shocking. Almighty God, yes. God of hosts, yes. God of the universe, yes. A shepherd? Really? But this is exactly how the psalmist addresses the Lord, the God of gods, the almighty creator of all that is. He is my shepherd. So think of some famous warrior or powerful entity from history. Attila the Hun, General Patton, Napoleon, for example. Then say to yourself, Attila is my babysitter. Or President Biden is caring for our kids in the nursery this morning. And my intent, please hear me, is not to compare the Lord to either Attila the Hun nor to Joe Biden, but I want us to catch a glimpse of how unlikely this concept would be that someone that's so far from us, so transcendent or so powerful, so distant, would choose to become so close as to care for our most intimate needs. Consider that truth, the almighty God of the universe, the most transcendent being, Yahweh, Jehovah, reveals himself as a shepherd of souls. And the first phrase of this psalm is beautiful. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. But there's an immediate question that has to be asked in follow-up. The Lord is my shepherd. Is he? We've heard that phrase. If you've been part of a church or grown up in the church for any amount of time, you've heard that phrase very, very often. And it is comforting. As I said earlier, we might see it on souvenirs or decorative pillows. But friends, just saying it does not make it true. Just as all people are not children of God, so the Lord is not everyone's shepherd. I can say to you, Warren Buffett's my investment advisor. I can tell you that that Bill Gates um, is my business partner. Actually, I I prefer Steve Jobs, um, is my business partner. But simply stating these, me saying that doesn't make it true. So how then does the shepherd become my shepherd? So I just briefly want to share three steps or three, three points along the path. I don't know if you've ever watched children in a context where they make believe that they are a particular animal. I've, I've watched that before, and um, I have never, that I can recall, seen a child choose to be a sheep. Think about the countries of the world who have chosen animals as symbols for their patriotism, right? So the United States, the eagle, the bald eagle. Great Britain, the lion. Russia is the bear. As far as I know, No country has chosen the sheep. There are some weird mascots out there too. High school mascots, you know, even professional team mascots. There's some weird ones. The Fremont Pretzels from Northern Illinois, driven through that town a few times. That's a weird one. But I have never encountered a school or any kind of group or entity that has chosen the sheep as their mascot because it's so intimidating. 
and so powerful. Think about, even in our context, geographically, we have not too far south of here, the Bengals. By the way, those are tigers, by the way, in case anyone isn't aware. I'm not sure what the Browns are. Um, I really am, I'm really not. Um, then we have the Wolverines, but maybe we'd prefer not to talk about them. Never lambs, never sheep. But here's the point, here's the application of this. If God reveals himself as a shepherd, then he must have a flock. And, and if, if those who belong to him, who are cared for by him, who are nurtured and protected and guided by him, then what are we? We are sheep. The first step to God becoming your shepherd is that we must admit and accept that we are sheep. So what does this mean? In the animal kingdom, sheep are relatively weak and in many ways helpless. They're not any more stupid than other animals, um, although that's something that's been stated in the past, that sheep are dumb. They're not necessarily dumb, but they're not capable of defending themselves from attack. Nor are they capable of foraging for their own food or finding their own food. That's why they need a shepherd. They need one who's more powerful than they are to guide them, to lead them, and to protect them. Friends, that's us. That's you. That's me. So in order for us to become part of God's flock, we first must humble ourselves and admit, I'm a sheep. We must acknowledge that we are weak, that we are incapable of caring for ourselves. And we have to admit our desperate need for a shepherd. And this goes against the grain. None of us wants to admit that we need someone more powerful than we are to guide and protect and care for us. We want to be our own shepherd. We want, to, we want self-determination. And m- much of the world, and oftentimes even within the church, we believe that. We believe we can self-determine. We believe we can control and order our own lives and project and guarantee the particular outcomes that we want until we're confronted with reality. So this idea of admitting that we're a sheep goes against the grain of our human nature. This was illustrated just this morning. We, we have a, immediately before the service, we, have a, we call it a production meeting with everyone that's involved in the service, the tech team and the worship team and anyone that's up here on the platform. We meet over there in that room over there, M120. We talk through the service and we spend time just praying together. And at the end of that prayer time, Pastor Gabriel um, calls us together into the middle for a cheer. And he, he chooses the cheer based on the, the theme of the service for that day. So today, he calls us all in the middle. He's like, let's be like sheep. And he said, ba on three. <laughs> so he goes, one, two, three, and everyone in there goes, ba. And then, as we're walking out the door, our dear percussionist, Cindy Mandrell, says, I can't believe I just did that. And I thought, I'm going to use that this morning, because even though in the context it was humorous, it was like a joke, she's saying, there's still something weird about it, right? That, That we would equate ourselves with sheep. We resist that. 
But an amazing gift that God has given to people, that real physical sheep, the animals, don't have, is that people can choose their shepherd. See, they're, they're, they're going to be shepherded by some entity. In other words, we don't have the right to just make ourselves. If we make ourselves our shepherd, it's actually the enemy of the church who is our shepherd. But we can choose the Lord as our shepherd. So how does one choose the Lord? As I said, the first step is to admit that we're sheep, that we need a shepherd. And then we must realize that God has made it possible for us to choose him. He has made a way to him through his son, Jesus, who is called the great shepherd of the sheep. Once we admit that we need a shepherd, and if we desire that the Lord be that shepherd, we have to admit that we don't deserve his shepherding. This is what we call repentance. We admit and confess that we're sinners that we have rebelled against his shepherding, that we've run off on our own, that we've refused to follow his lead, that we have despised, actually despised his care and his love, and we have chosen our own torturous path. And it's leading us toward destruction. The Bible calls this attitude sin, this self-focus and self-determination that sets itself up as a rival to God that says, I am my own shepherd. I can do it. My way is better. Frank Sinatra did do it his way. And he's in the same place that everyone else is going to end up in. He's in a grave. For hope beyond the grave, we respond to the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, the great shepherd of sheep, saying, I need you as my shepherd. I repent of my rebellion against your shepherding. I repent of following my own way, and I submit to you. And please, welcome me, adopt me into your flock. I accept the incredible gift of the death of Jesus on my behalf to pay for my brokenness, for my rebellion. From that moment on, God welcomes you as his sheep as part of his flock. The reason I emphasize this so much right here is because the rest of this psalm only applies to those of whom he is the shepherd. These are not promises made broadly to all people, but only to those who are his, who belong to his flock. Now, the third step here is that we are to live as the Lord's sheep. I don't want to get too far off the topic or too far away from the psalm, but the rest of the psalm talks about the path of life with the shepherd. So I think we need to take a moment to consider what the marks of a sheep of God's flock are. What characterizes a sheep, in other words, that belongs to the great shepherd? The Apostle John wrote in his gospel, chapter 10, verse 27, using the same imagery. This is Jesus talking, and he's using the same shepherd-sheep imagery, and he says this, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Now, be clear here. This isn't how one becomes God's sheep. It's what marks their lives after they're adopted into his flock. God's sheep listen to him. 
He knows them and they follow him. Those who are sheep of God's will seek him, will seek his voice, will listen to it through his word and will obey him. That's what it means to follow, to listen and to follow. Seek his will, seek his word, seek his voice, and then obey what he says. It's a lifestyle. I really want us to understand this. It's a lifestyle. It's not just a short prayer. It's not just Jesus come into my heart. That may start it, but that's not a life as a sheep of the great shepherd. In uh, April, Julie and I uh, got to travel to Texas to see our older son, Ethan, and I, we flew separately because we found cheaper flights and miles and whatever, but we went to the airport together up in Cleveland, got there about 4.30 in the morning, yeah, cheap flights. Um, and so my flight, I was flying through, through Dallas and then eventually on to Houston. So there were lots of stages in this trip, right? So the, the trip starts out with us getting in the car outside our house and starting to drive up to Cleveland. And then we wait in the airport, you know, check in, go through security. We wait in the airport, we get on the plane, we fly, I fly to Dallas. I have about a four hour layover in Dallas, so I walk the terminal really well, get coffee, whatever, find my gate and sit down. And then I kind of tune the world out, listening to an audio book, I have earbuds in. And I'm just, you know, kind of resting, maybe dozing off a little bit. And at some point I'm kind of rising out of this sort of torpor and I, I, I look and I say, you know, flight's supposed to leave pretty soon. There's not very many people at this gate. And um, there's not even a ticket agent at this gate. And uh, the gate number was in the single digits, okay? I don't know if you've ever been in the DFW airport, but there are many different terminals, and each one has 47, 48 some, something gates. So I'm in the single digit gates, right? So I find a ticket agent, and I was like, look, um, I'm, I'm flying to Houston, uh, was supposed to leave at this gate, uh, is something wrong? Oh, yeah, we changed the gate. Um, and it's, uh, let me check. Yeah, you're leaving from gate 47, and you know what? They're, they're going to be closing the door in just a few minutes. So I, I made it. Um, I felt sorry for the people I sat down next to. I was quite sweaty by that point, run, running through the airport. Um, but if, if I had missed that flight, it would have been because I was not paying attention because I was not attentive. And, by the, and when I finally did get to the gate, sat down, I pulled out my phone and I looked and I'd gotten all these texts, you know, your, your, your gate has been changed. I, was, I wasn't paying attention. I'm sure they, well, I'm not sure. I'm guessing at some point they may have announced it over the loudspeaker. So the point of being a sheep of the great shepherd is that it's a lifestyle that is lifelong. And the goal is the arrival at the end. It's not just the beginning. And I think that we deceive ourselves often. We deceive ourselves about our, ourselves. We also maybe deceive ourselves potentially about others. When we say, oh, they, they said a prayer or, or I said a prayer some, you know, 40 years ago and so I'm good. 
But we have to assess, am I living as a sheep of the shepherd? As Jesus said, am I following? Or have I stopped somewhere along the way and zoned out? And I've said, I've started the journey, so I'm good. Sit, sitting there in the DFW airport for days, right? Because why? I, I, I started, you know? I, I started. I got on that first flight. I didn't get on the second flight. Didn't make it to the destination. But I'm contenting myself with the fact that I got on the first flight. You know what? Jesus says that his sheep hear his voice, that he knows them, and they follow. Are we following our shepherd? We can't claim to be his sheep if we don't see that fruit in our lives. Now, the second phrase of this first verse describes some of the result of being one of God's sheep. Because he is my shepherd, I lack nothing. That doesn't mean that God's sheep have everything they want, but they have everything they need. And so, let's be honest, you, you might look at your life right now and say, that, that is just not true. I have so many needs that are not met. Two things to consider. First, the God of all the universe is present to you, present to us as our shepherd. So on the one hand, what more could we possibly need? In other words, if he's not enough, we sang this morning, your grace is enough. If, if he's not enough, because our most foundational, primal needs are all met in God. We are deceived and distracted and tempted to, to try to meet those needs in all other with, with all other kinds of, of perversions, of activities. But God is the only one who meets the primal needs of humanity. The second thing to consider is the tense of this verb. Now, if, if you memorized this verse in the past, perhaps in a different translation, you might have learned it as, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And that's an accurate translation, but the problem is in English, when we hear the shall not, it gives a future push to the verb. And uh, the NIV in the 2011 edition, they've tried to correct that because in the Hebrew, it's a present ongoing tense, but the focus is now. That's why this translation reads, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. When we consider what we do lack, or we consider what our needs are, are not most of our fears and most of our worries future-focused? Think about that for a moment. Even if it's only a question of a few minutes from now, we're afraid that we won't have what we need when we need it. And the shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep, invites us to be with him in the now. 
right now. My mom used to tell me, and I, I suppose I did it, but I forget that I would sit down at breakfast and I would say, what's for dinner? And mom would say, eat your breakfast. <laughs> and the reason I ask that is because, believe it or not, I know it's hard to believe this, when I was a kid, I did not enjoy eating. And I dreaded mealtime, so I just wanted to find out how much I needed to dread dinner. But right now, sitting in this building, where we each are, at this second, right now, I'm not talking about five minutes from now. I'm not talking even about one minute from now. I'm definitely not talking about tomorrow or next week or next year. Right now, we have all we need. We are alive. We are clothed. We're in the presence of the shepherd, united with your brothers and sisters of the body of Christ. And the shepherd promises that in every now moment, because he is their shepherd, his sheep lack nothing they need. So it's hard for us to rest in the now. Because this promise is, is a promise of peace. I know it's hard to believe and even harder to accept, but I suggest that we need to train ourselves to focus on the truth of this promise. That doesn't mean, sisters and brothers, that we never make plans for the future. It doesn't mean that we don't pray about the future. But it means that our focus in the provision of God is not a focus of worry and fear and anxiety about tomorrow, but it's a resting in his provision in the now. A focus on gratefulness for what we have now, rather than worrying about what we won't have or might not have or how the shepherd's going to provide for us in the future. And that's a call to faith and trust, and it's a hard call. I'm not suggesting it's an easy one at all but that we trust that when that future arrives, in that now, the shepherd will see that we lack nothing we need. Because you, Lord, are my shepherd, I lack nothing. So two final points of application. And you will have heard these kind of flowing through Already, The first is an invitation to choose the shepherd to become God's sheep. And uh, maybe this, this invitation even goes out to some of you that perhaps you have made that decision at some point in the past, but maybe through the airport analogy or because the Holy Spirit is convicting you, you realize that you have neglected to continue to follow the shepherd. So... You may have made a decision, but it hasn't borne the fruit in your lifestyle and in your heart and in your seeking of him, a following, a hearing, and a following and an obedience to his voice. So you have an opportunity this morning to reaffirm to the shepherd your sheephood, your, the fact that you are one of his flock. That might mean repenting of a particular sin or sins that have distracted you and that have led you away from him. 
Maybe you've never come to him as shepherd. So this is an opportunity for you, as I said earlier, to, to pray and begin your sojourn as a sheep of the great shepherd. The second application or challenge is to believe and claim this promise. This promise that his sheep lack nothing. And as I said earlier, I I understand that with so much uncertainty and so much anxiety and so many unknowns, it is really hard to hear that statement, I lack nothing, and live in the faith that it requires. But it doesn't change the truth. If we are sheep of the shepherd, he promises that in the now, your needs will be met. What an incredible gift. So when the worry and anxiety and the fear about, I'm not gonna have what I need tomorrow, I'm not gonna have what I need in a week, I'm not gonna have what I need in a year, First, we trust God to define our needs. And secondly, we choose to say, okay, right now, I'm with you, shepherd, and your presence is enough. I'm trusting that you will guide, you will prepare, and that you will provide when I need it. And I will choose to rest in that. As we continue to worship I encourage you, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you to come to the altar. As that, as that physical expression of an internal spiritual truth of coming to the shepherd, whether it's because there are needs that you have that you are struggling so much to trust that he will meet, whether there's anxiety that needs to be released to to the shepherd to allow him to carry it, or maybe it's simply a coming to the shepherd or a, a return to the shepherd. The Lord Jehovah is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Come to him. And if you would like someone to pray with you or over you, come to this side of the altar. Someone will join you there. But if you prefer to pray on your own, worship on your own, just you and the Lord, come to this side. We'll respect your desires and your wishes. Let's stand together as we worship and come to the shepherd of our souls. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. One way you can connect further with First Friends Church is through our website, firstfriends.org. There, you can learn about our equip groups as well as our upcoming events for all ages. On Sundays, we gather at 9 and 10.30 a.m., and we'd love to see you there. Have a great week!